ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਬਾਬੀ ਜੀ ਆਈ ਵਾਸ ਟਾਕਿੰਗ ਟੂ ਮਾਈ ਲਿਟਲ ਵਨ ਟੂਡੇ ਅਬਾਊਟ ਅਬਾਊਟ ਮੈਮਰੀਜ਼ ਆਫ ਮੀ ਐਂਡ ਮਾਈ ਬ੍ਰਦਰ and i was talking to he was like did you used to fight with the brother and i said yeah he goes can you tell me a story i said oh my brother used to hang me upside down from the stairs and he was waiting for the end of the story but that was it he used to just hang me upside down from the stairs i thought wow that's that sounds really traumatic reflecting back on it so many years later um what what kind of impact does trauma have on a person how do you know if you've experienced trauma like am i going to be messed up for the rest of my life I don't think that's the case at all just just going by what the last thing that you said are you going to be messed up for the rest of your life I think firstly let's just unpack that am I going to be messed up so that's to that means that you already think that you have that you are messed up in some way because you've experienced trauma so trauma is your body and your mind's way of processing something that has happened to you that has caused you some kind of harm so whether it is physical harm you know mental harm spiritual harm in some way it's made you respond in a way that's you know you're trying to keep yourself safe and so trying to keep yourself safe that is a a very natural reaction to have so the fact that you use those words messed up like that that doesn't even apply it's your body doing whatever it needs to do to keep you safe i'm thinking of periods where there might have been a family member not my father but another family member who was drunk and i might have seen things or been exposed to things that were inappropriate being a parent now being an adult now and now sometimes i think did that have an impact on me and has that shaped me in a negative way and also is there anything i can do about that like can you erase your garam like if you've been through stuff when you're young can you do enough simran or sangat to change that and change mm. your future okay well seeing as you you're telling me a lot about your family and so i think i feel safe enough to share this that i went through a very traumatic experience when i was a kid and it's not something that i talk about freely with pretty much anyone it's something that i it is private to me so i'm not going to be talking about all of the details but i went through this horribly traumatic thing that uh like my family isn't even aware of and for the longest time i felt like it was affecting me in my life i felt like all of the things that i was seeing around me my belief in god and spirituality it was all just affected by that so i went through life i went through my teen years not uh, believing in god i thought i i used to call myself an atheist because <laughs> i used to just be like god would never give me such pain god doesn't exist and i used to feel like oh gosh i am i it's it's those words exactly i used to say to myself oh gosh i am so messed up and i used to push it to the side thinking yeah i'm going to have to deal with it eventually it's like i kind kind of knew that i would but i dissociated myself from it i literally used to block those thoughts the the experience that i had i used to just block it all out completely and it was only when um i started um 
it's only when I realized that it was affecting my personal relationships that I thought, okay, yeah, I'm gonna have to deal with this because it's affecting them in such a way that, you know, people, the people around me are getting angry with me. I am hurting them. Um, they don't understand me. I don't feel seen. And so I, there was just, I felt like, I felt like I was so alone because nobody could relate to anything that I had been through. And I used to feel such shame for the experience that I went through as well, thinking that I can't ever share this because who's going to believe that a little child like me went through something like that? It feels like you're completely alone and you can see it affecting different parts of your life. And it almost feels like you don't know what to do to stop it. And they just, what, what happened for me was that I just, I needed to have this really big wake up call and the wake up call came in another traumatic way, which is actually really relevant to the trauma that you feel because any trauma that you have experienced, it's something that you know so deeply in your cells, in your brain, in your body that it becomes a pattern that you keep reliving. It's your mind's way of just trying to process it somehow. And that pattern, it, it keeps repeating itself. So what I mean by that is like, let's say you have um, been abused by your parents. I'm just using this as an example. My parents are great, that happened to me. Let's say you're abused by your parents and then later on in life, it's likely that you will have relationships where there is violence or abuse of all involved as well. We can talk about this on different levels. We can talk about like the, the brain side of it, that like that's what your brain knows, it's trying to process it. And we can talk about it on the spiritual side that because that's what you know, God gives you more of that, of what you know. And it comes at you in such a way that you're being forced to face it. You're being forced to relate to it and acknowledge it and really you're being given the opportunity this is what i believe that you're being given the opportunity by guru sahib to heal from it and actually move past it so until you actually take that step of facing it head on and um you know you you'll be scared when you do it but when you actually face it that's when you actually start to heal from it too how do you face it how do you heal it is really uncomfortable. It's going to make you feel like you want to hide away and like you don't want to face it. And there just has to be, I mean, this is what worked for me. I just felt like I just had to find just the tiniest part of me that was willing to open the door a little bit to it. And that comes from the love that you actually have for yourself it is the love that you have for Vaheguru that that gives you that strength to think yeah you know what i am gonna do this because i don't want to live a life where i am hurting i don't want to live a life where my hurt hurts other people as well in you know directly indirectly whatever it happens to be and so if you just find that tiny part of you that is willing to start that journey I feel like that's when um, that's when the shifts start to take place because 
you know, if we think about any any kind of changes that we want to have, if we're trying to start a new habit, it really does just take that first step to get started. Of course, there is commitment and consistency involved with all of those things. But if we can just find that one little part of us, I think that takes us throughout our journey. Babaji, what are some practicable steps that people can do? So they want to face it. They've been through something when they were a kid, which they feel like has had a significant impact on them and they felt threatened and they, they experienced shame, which I think is a really under-addressed topic within our community. There's, there's shame with any, kind of, with any kind of form of trauma, I feel, potentially, or addiction. There's lots of shame with addiction. There's lots of shame with abuse. Um, but what's that first step that someone can take? I know you have a program that could potentially help guide people through those steps. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so the, the things that I did for myself, um, I went to a therapist first and foremost. Um, when I, you know, I realized that this wasn't something that I was going to be able to do alone. And uh, it was something that was beyond like my family being able to help me. And again, it's one of those things, you know, like you said, we feel shame and sometimes the people closest to us, that's the people that we fear that judgment and and shame from. And so I took the step to um, speak to a counsellor and I went for a number of sessions and um, <laughs> I remember at the time I wouldn't tell anybody, I like Narit Singh knew, but I, I didn't tell anybody that I was going to counselling because, yeah, I just thought, yeah, like people are going to be like, well, what is your, you have such a great life. What do you need to go to counseling for? And I think at that point, you just have to think, okay, I'm just going to do this. People aren't going to understand. Let me just do it anyway. Because again, you're doing it for yourself, right? And so um, first and foremost, I started going to a counselor, talking it through. It, it took me like a good few sessions before I even opened up and even talked about my experience. It just took me that long to get comfortable and even start to process it in my mind. Once I started doing that, then, and, and when I got comfortable with um, acknowledging it for myself, that's when I started to journal. The thing, the journey with doing any kind of healing from trauma work is that you're going to go through ups and downs. So when I started to go to counseling first, that was at the very start of my journey. And I felt okay. You know, I felt like, okay, I'm going to be able to get through this. As you start to go deeper into your trauma, you start to peel these different layers of thoughts and experiences that you have likely blocked yourself away from. Like I did, I blocked, I just blocked myself from it all. And so all of these different things started to come up and I couldn't just process it just through talking. I really had to write it out because sometimes the thought of saying it would scare me of saying it out loud because it would make it so real. And so I started journaling, journaling my thoughts and sometimes not even having like anything particular that I just want to write about, just being comfortable with my own thoughts. And I think that is a true act of self-love as well. So when I was going through this journey, I 
I realized I was, I needed to get to know me again. I had fixed my identity with my trauma so much that I didn't even know who I was. So as I'm journaling, I get to know who I am. I get, I start to realize that actually I am a really great person and whatever has happened to me is not who I am. It doesn't, it, it's not my identity. Um, there's something else I was going to say in this. Right, yeah. And so these ups and downs that I was talking about of, you know, kind of going through good times and then the bad times while you're in the midst of trying to deal with your trauma. There were also times where I was just feeling really depressed about it because I had laid out all of my thoughts and experiences in front of me and, you know, it, it left me feeling a little bit numb then as well because I was like, oh, this is it now. Like, it's out. What now? And it used to leave me feeling really depressed. And that's when I would say that journaling literally helped save my life because there were times where I used to feel so unworthy and so low that, there, I mean, there was one time where I had considered suicide and that was a huge deal for me because as a child, going to Gurumit classes, going to Sikhi camps, feeling feeling like I'd got to the point of suicide, it was a really big shock for me because um, it's not something that I had ever thought about before. Um, I'd grown up, um, you know, learning about the preciousness of life and, and how we really need to be grateful for every single moment. And so for me to have got to that point, I really felt like I'd hit my lowest point. And that's when journaling and literally just, I, I, I've even still got that journal where there were just times where I was literally just scribbling on the page just to get, you know, whatever was inside out in some way. So journaling definitely helped me. There's been various other things that I have done as well. So um, as well as therapy, journaling, journaling, um, I used to do just any kind of physical exercise that would get me moving because when you're depressed um, and certainly when I was depressed, I used to feel like not moving. I used to feel like, you know, those feelings were just kind of laying stagnant in my body. But the moment that you start moving, the moment that you start getting endorphins released, that's when you're getting that energy circulating again as well. So if there is, you know, these thoughts that are stuck in your head or like, I'm not good enough. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And you're just, you're just constantly just on that loop of negativity. The moment that you start moving around, you're letting that scatter and you're let, you're giving your, your mind and your body room for more positivity to actually sit there. I have a few questions about journaling, Babaji. So one of them yes. was around privacy. Because sometimes when I've tried to write a journal, I thought, well, I don't want anyone to read this, so maybe I won't write it. And the second thing is uh, around when I've done gratitude journaling and I found that very useful, but I have to do quite a bit of it, I feel, for it to really have the kind of impact that I want. And yeah. that's a time commitment. And I do notice when the negative impacts of when I don't do it. But when I've spoken to people about it, I think the hurdle of time puts people off. How did you get around that hurdle of carving out that time? And the the third question was around, do you find it helpful to look back at journals or do you think that's not a helpful exercise? Because that was, 
it takes you back to that point in time. Okay, so the first thing about privacy, yeah, I, I know that that can be a scare. <laughs> and sharing something personal, um, when I was uh, a kid, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, uh, I used to keep a journal. And then I stopped for a number of years because <laughs> um, I had my privacy violated and my journal was read and I was just like, oh God, I am devastated. And so it took me a while to get back into it. But I remember at the time when I started journaling, I just remember explaining to Nabritzing like, this is my private space, like, please, please do not look into it. And the way that I actually, you know, tried to ensure that um, he wouldn't, I mean, I trusted him, I knew he wouldn't, but I also got him a journal and I said, this is your space for you to write about whatever you want. And he, he's journaled in it like, two or three times maybe <laughs> but he keeps that private I've never looked at his journal and it's just given us that we've just been able to set that boundary with each other like no my journal is off limits if I want to share something you know I'm going to but you know it's off limits um I think as long as you have that with your partner or like the close members in your house or you know whoever, whoever you're living with um, I think it makes it a lot easier. But there are apps and things you can get as well. Like if you don't want to like do the physical writing in a journal, you could get an app um, that you can, you know, it usually has like a passcode or something to it. So you could literally journal on your phone. The thing with time is, yes, we do need to be able to commit time, if, you know, especially if we're going to do a practice like this. And what I found was that at the beginning, when I felt like my head was so full of things, I probably was taking a little bit more time. But I would say, you know, it, it didn't take long for me to then just be able to carve out like 10 to 15 minutes a day um, on the days that I was choosing to journal. Literally within 10, 15 minutes, I was done and I was like, okay, I think my head is clear now. I'm going to get on with the rest of my day. And I think this is the thing when we're ever, whenever we're trying to do something for ourselves is that we think it's going to take a long time and that we think we need to carve out lots and lots of time for it when really it can take something as little as 10, 15 minutes a day. And that builds up. So I don't know if you're familiar with the compound effect, but the, the small things that, that you do every day, eventually they're going to build so that on the days where you really need to use it or you, you're not able to do it at all, all of that practice from behind you literally carries you through, you know, that challenge or that time when you're not able to do it. Um, and, and that's what I found for me. So now I don't even journal every day any, anymore. And it's because I feel like I've just got so efficient at noting down whatever it is that I need to do in my journal, um, you know, at just sort of designated times in the week. Does that answer that? Yes. And the third question, which leads to a false one, is, is it helpful to look back at the journal and put yourself back into that potentially difficult time? Mm. And the other thing was around, I read a study a long time ago, and it was a nun study, and they correlated life expectancy with the types of words that nuns were using. So the, the nuns that used positive framing around their experiences had a much longer life expectancy than the nuns who had a negative framing uh, mm -hmm. methodology around their journaling. And is there, does that matter? Should you just be honest and write your feelings or 
Should you try and keep it positive? What is the framework around this? Mm-hmm. You may already cover this in your course. I'm, I'm not sure. It's a yes and no on that because yes, it's good for you to read back and, and no, make a note of your progress and see how far you've come. And I think that can be good for your confidence and just knowing that you know, you're doing the healing work. And possibly no, because if you feel like it's going to take you to uh, you know, a, a bad place again, then it means that there's still some healing to do. So I would continue journaling. Um, and there are times when I've read back on my journals and I've literally cringed at you know, the kind of way that I'm talking about myself. And I thought, oh gosh, is this really me? But yeah, honestly, I, I look back on it now and I think, it's fine, I might be cringing at it, but I'm happy that I, I'm happy that I did that back then because it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't have made me who I am now. I'm really interested on this topic. The last question was around framing. I've noticed when I've tried to journal, I've ended up being quite critical. I need to do this and I need to stop doing this and I need to wake up earlier. And it just sounds like a to-do list of things that I'm not doing. And Mm. I don't know whether that's helpful or not. Yeah, I don't think it's... You have to let it out some way, right? So, and I think journaling is your outlet, outlet for that. So you really need to write without judgment and let it let it be a judgment-free place. Um, like even though I just said, like you know, I've cringed at things that I've written before, but I remember writing them without judgment at the time because I was like, this is what I'm feeling right now. If you can't acknowledge that for yourself, then you're already putting a barrier between yourself and your healing. And if you're expecting other people to understand they're not going to understand if you don't understand and acknowledge and love yourself for whatever it is that you're feeling at the time. So yes, you should just um, let it out however it comes out. Don't, you know, don't try to be perfect with grammar or, um, you know, swear if you need to. I'm like, yeah, I'm not a swearer, but you know, when I was going through my healing journey, I wrote a lot of swear words. (laughs) And I, yeah, I, you know, you, you just let it out however you want. However, at some point, you will need to reflect on the fact that, okay, well, how is it that I'm actually talking to myself about myself? And so if you notice that you're being very harsh on yourself, um, I think the best way to judge that is thinking, would I talk to a friend in this way? Think about a dear person to you. Would you talk to them in that way? And if the answer is no, then you're being too hard on yourself. And there is a bit of, uh, there's a change in the language and the way that you're talking to, to yourself, that needs to change. And so this thing that you said about reframing, yeah, make a note of, if I'm being hard on myself, how can I change it so that um, I feel positive looking at that sentence rather than, oh my God, I haven't done anything. Maybe your sentence needs to be I'm working on this right now, but this is what I, this is what I have done, and this is what I have achieved. You know, if if you feel like that's going to give you a sense of um, feeling good, then yeah, there, there does need to be a reframe there. Bobby, can you change your karma? And what I mean by this is, if someone's in a really difficult situation and they're really struggling and they feel like this is my karma, this is just my sanjog. What a powerful question, (laughs) because I think whenever we're talking about spiritual things like this, we need to get our answer from Guru Sahib themselves, because Guru Sahib is the the foundation and fountain of all knowledge that we ever need. And so there's a Bani Pankti that came to my mind, which is Likha Pariye Har Naam, Fir Lekh Na Hoi, Yolikha being the account of all of your karam. 
and what guru sahib is saying in this vani pankti is likha padhiye har naam that if your account rather than it being all of the karms that you have done like you know satnam ko did this harbir singh did this if all it reads is vaheguru 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 then there is no likha left anyway and so to answer your question can you change your karm guru sahib has already given us all of the instructions that we need to be able to change our karm and guru sahib has given that to us in the form of naam simran what's your relationship like with gitan because i told this story before we hit record my first immersion in gitan was at a house program when i heard you did gitan probably a long time ago as monna i don't think i'd ever really liked gitan prior to that i'd been to the gurdwara and i just didn't understand anything and then i went to the house program and there was the gitan but it was sung in a way which was easy to understand the sangat would repeat so there was this energy in the sangat and then there was simran and even if you don't understand gurbani you can you can join into the simran so that was the first time i ever experienced something like that and that was just life changing for me so what has your journey been like in terms of keith then when did you realize that you had the ability to be able to have that kind of impact on people i've never taken any formal keith and lessons and even when i've had the opportunity to when i have gone to lessons i have not been able to relate with it like i know for some people they need that basis and that foundation of the saragama but you know, it just doesn't work for me whenever i have done kirtan i've just thought does this feel good to me does this feel good to my soul and do i feel like guru sahib is talking to me or through me in some way and if the answer is a yes then i just go with it there are times when i have done kirtan and it hasn't felt great and it's because i've been so fixated on trying to get the tune right or pressing the right keys or something like that that just doesn't work for me and yeah this is this is the first time i've ever shared anything like this publicly publicly because you know when you are a kirtani um uh, i don't know i guess there's this expectation that um you have to be an amazing kirtani but you can't be egotistic about it and i i really hope that it's not coming out in that way because i feel like this is just a gift that's been given to me i i love that i'm able to do kirtan as for impacting people um i make it less about you know are people listening to this and being wowed by it because i think that's again that's ego right there's there's no if you're really truly doing kirtan i don't think there is a place for ego kirtan needs to be your conversation with guru and you just become that vessel for other people's conversation with the guru you you really don't have much of a part to play in it and so um for me it's always been like yeah let me let me have this conversation in fact actually i'm saying it's always been like that it hasn't always been like that i think it's taken me a while to get to that point as you're growing up as i was growing up um i saw a lot of uh different things around me of like you know keep them being on stages and you know you have to be a ragi or you know if you're doing kirtan at like the local ranch by then then that means that you have been validated by the sangat or something like that no the best kirtan the best kirtan is when there is nobody looking and you know that's it's truly when it's just you and your guru
And if other people happen to be there at the same time, fine, you can share in that ananda with them. But otherwise, yeah, it's it's a relationship between you and your guru. And Kirtan for me has definitely developed into that. Like I don't, I'm not doing Kirtan for anybody except for my relationship with with Bhai Guru. I, I don't really know much about this, but I, from the people I've had conversations with, I get messages from Amnatadis on Instagram and they'll say, we're doing Anitnam, we're doing Apart, we're doing everything, but we're still depressed. And then there's people who've had miraculous recoveries from physical and mental health issues related to their practice of Gurbani or or going to a Gurdwara. And I just I just wanted your opinion and your thoughts on what where is the the disconnect between mm. those people who are having they're benefiting from it, even if it's just changing their state and making them feel a little bit le- more happy and a little bit less stressed to people who feel like I'm doing everything, I'm, you know, I'm ticking every box, but I'm still miserable. And mm. it's just, they, they might be reading, but it just feels like a tick box exercise for them. The thing about Gurbani is like, it is literally magical words right the words of the guru are magical and we're so like uh, accustomed to think that like magic doesn't exist our logical mind takes over and it's like oh no you know magic things don't happen but gurbani is literally magic how is it magic because the vibration of gurbani it has the power to affect your mind your body your soul it can like just like we talked about how Nam Simran can change your karam. It's doing the same thing. It's something that I learned when I was learning about yoga and about mantras is that when we say something like a, when, you know, if we're telling ourselves a certain mantra, like I, I am worthy, I am enough. If you keep saying that to yourself, your mind is eventually going to catch up with that and it's going to believe it. And then you're going to live that. And the way that a mantra works is, especially like, you know, spiritual mantras, but let's just take it to Gursiki, Guru Mantra. You think of yoga and you think like it's all about moving your body or something. Actually, it's the science of uh, knowing how your body actually works with relation to your spirituality. So, you know, the effect of saying a specific mantra, it's your your tongue is moving into in different parts in your mouth. And when, you know, for example, when you're saying Vaheguru, your tongue is hitting the roof of your mouth and there's this direct connection of all of the nerves in the roof of your mouth going up 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 to to your pineal gland and that is it's known in spirituality as being the seat of your consciousness and uh, you know if if we were to if you know if you if you think about the dasamdwar if you kind of this is the way that i explain it to my yoga students that like if you were to imagine like a parallel line going you know, inside your third eye, and then another parallel line going at the top of your head and your soft spot, the point that they would meet at in the middle, that would be your pineal gland. That is known as the dasamdwar. And so um, that connection that you're, uh, that you're creating through the vibration of just saying Vaheguru. So when we, when we're doing our nitnam and we're saying these magical words of Gurbani, we think that they're not having an effect on us because maybe we're not conscious to that fact, but 
they're always going to be having an effect on us. We don't know how much karam we have accumulated that is being wiped out through saying Vaheguru once or through doing just one Japji Sahib. We have no knowledge of that. And I think what come what it comes down to is having this faith of knowing that this is magic and I am going to use it and I am going to immerse myself into it as much as I can and trust that somewhere along the journey, I'm going to become conscious of it. That also, that faith is also intertwined with your own ardas to Guru Sahib to say, you know what, like, yeah, I'm doing this, but I'm not feeling the effects. Help me figure it out, right? Um, so ardas is so powerful. Another thing with doing your nickname and feeling like you're not getting anywhere is we, we have been accustomed to getting things instantly and your Gursikki, your spirituality, it's going to take time. We just have to trust the journey. Guru Sai will reveal everything to us. I guess it's also our block, right? Like we don't have that full faith. When we start having more faith, Guru Sahib teaches you a lot more than you even thought was comprehensible before. I'm talking about myself personally. Sometimes I do things and I have anxiety around things and I stress around things. And on reflection, if I really had faith in God, would I have the same levels of anxiety and worries and, and trepidations and make efforts in such way if I felt like it was all in God's hands and he was taking care of everything? Do you feel like there's a difference in faith or do you think like that can still be built in today's day and age, which is potentially a little bit different to two generations ago? Yeah, I can see why you might think that, you know, perhaps our uh, parents, grandparents, ancestors had more faith. Um, but I think it's still it's still around today. I think that faith does need to be built on for sure. Uh, I think possibly our ancestors were a little bit more patient than us. Um, but Guru Sahib is odd such, jugad such, happy such, nanakosipi such. So everything that they're saying, it's no different to what it was when the Guru Sahib, when Guru Sahib actually said it out loud for, for mankind, for, for humankind. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's just a matter of, how much are we opening ourselves to it? It reminds me of your Instagram um, reel where you have somebody who is watching Netflix and then they realize that it's time for Amitullah. <laughs> I feel like Dr. Thomas told you about me, but um, it reminds me of that. It feels like there's a contest between these distractions and between things that are going to build faith yeah definitely and this is the uh this is the power of kaljug as well kaljug is about darkness it is the dark age but it is also an age of technology and so as technology develops we are getting more and more distracted our our attention spans are so much shorter than they have ever been now and so to hold somebody's attention um, you know, I'm just thinking about like Instagram, for example, there's Reels, there's TikTok now and all of those things like we have to, we just scroll so, so quickly now. It's like if it doesn't hold our attention, pass, pass, pass. Like, and, and we're like that with our spirituality now as well, I think. It's like, okay, I'm going to try and do Japji Saib in 
five minutes. If I don't get it done in five minutes, I'm just going to leave it. Or, okay, did I not get that much of a feeling from Japanese Cyber today? Hmm, okay, maybe I'm not going to try it again then. Let me try something else. Let me try something new. And, like, we, we really need to uh, bring ourselves back to the fact that living a Gursiki Jeevan, it's going to take effort. It's not going to be instant. And Guru Sahib says themselves, like, that when we, our very first step in our Gursiki, according to Rehatname, is that we take, that we are blessed with Amrit first. And that's when our entire journey of really formulating, really forming that relationship with Guru Sahib has, has officially begun. Um, and that's going to take work. And this is a journey that we have been on for lifetimes. It has taken us, you know, this entire journey of going through all of these different life forms to get to this human form. Who knows how many human lives we've had and all of the karam that we have um, created for ourselves, they've all come with us. They've accumulated. We're here now. And there is a lot of undoing that we're having to do, a lot of unlearning, a lot of wiping out about karam through Gurbani and through Nam Simran. So do not expect that, you know, you're going to get everything in an instant. Guru Sahib may be able to give that to you. Guru Sahib is magic. They, of course, they can do that. But expect your Guru Sikhi to be one where you are committed and you're working on it every single day. This is going to be a daily battle. This is why Guru Sahib created a whole panth, a Khalsa panth of Sant Sapahis because a Sant Sapahi keeps the fact that they are connected to Vaheguru every single moment, but is also willing to uh, show up for that fight every day, fighting the distractions and fighting all of the negativity and even fighting our own traumas and you know all of the past experiences that we've had because they can also block us from our spirituality. We just need to show up and, and just constantly work at it. Babaji, how do you protect yourself from Galdruk? In terms of technology, you're an influencer. You probably have 100 messages a minute. How do you set boundaries? How do you protect your son, your family time, all of these important things, your bhakti time? I think uh, I haven't always got it right. And it's when I noticed that it was negatively starting to impact my mind and my family time that I thought, okay, no, I need to do something. So the boundaries that I have in place are that after a certain time in the day, I'm not looking at Instagram or, you know, any of the social media that there is. If there are DMs that I don't want to answer, um, I'm fairly open about it as well. Like I will get to your DM when I get to your DM. And nobody has the i don't give anybody the chance to have the right to be able to impinge on that and just with other distractions like you know netflix any other kind of tv thing that you're watching it's always going to be there so you just have to be strong and think okay is this gonna do me good right now is this gonna help me with what my life goals are my spiritual goals and if you're asking yourself that all the time you're much more likely to make decisions that are going to benefit you and so there is that constant conversation that i'm having with myself like okay should i really be watching this netflix show right now and do i really need to be on my dms last question babaji thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you got a young family you've got 
your husband, you've got your business, you've got so many things going on, your contributions to the Pant and to Sangat. So thank you so much for taking out this time. It's really, really appreciated. Um, I wanted to ask you where people can get in touch with you and where they can access your content and also um, any books and resources that you would recommend as well. Okay, let's start with the books thing first. <laughs> so um, I read a lot of books um, and actually I'm a fan of Audible at the moment. So I listen to a lot of audio books because I feel like it's just more, more convenient for me. Um, so if you're if you want to know more about trauma, how it affects your mind, your body, your soul, then I highly recommend the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I think it's amazing. Um, in terms of building habits, um, I think Atomic Habits is wonderful. And along with that, possibly the compound effect. Um, I'm sorry that I can't remember all of the, all of the authors right now, but if you search those uh, titles, you'll definitely find them. In terms of self-development, the 5am Club by Robin Sharma, that was a really great, impactful book for me. And in terms of Sikhi, I don't know if you'll remember this, but in August 2008, when Meena Ritsing came to your house, we had a nap on your sofas and you read to us from Guru Nanak Jamatakar. Do you remember that? <laughs> so I would have to say that Guru Nanak Jamatakar has been one of the most impactful um, Sikhi books for me because whenever I have read it and sometimes I you know I don't read it all in one go I'll just kind of dip into it I feel like I'm having com conversation and Sangat with Guru Nanak Bhatta themselves and so that has been wonderful for me you can look me up I've got two different Instagram accounts my personal one is Satanamgur Khalsa you can have a look at me and my life on there um, in terms of working with me and, you know, what I, what I feel like is my purpose in life of empowering women, you can look me up at Conscious Sisterhood or ConsciousSisterhood.com. Um, I have various different programs running right now. The latest program that I have coming up is called the 14-Day Self-Care Master Plan. So some of the things that we've talked about today of how I got through my trauma and started to heal from it, it's included within the self-care master plan. Essentially, what I would say is that these 14 days of self-care, what they involve is short self-care practices that you can do in just a, a, as little as 10 to 15 minutes a day. And the impact that those will have on you, um, you know, is just immense, immeasurable, really. And so the feedback that I've had for this program has just been amazing where women have just said that we did not know that self-care could be this simple but you know it's really started to change our lives so i highly recommend that that will be available uh, through my website amazing and i've seen some of those testimonies are really powerful you're doing a great job with everything that you're putting out thank you so much thank you so much <laughs>